Hi, I'm Pastor Jeff. I hope you enjoyed worship today. We take prayer seriously here at Central. So if you have a need, write it down on the communication card you are handed on the way in. You can put your prayer request and your offering in the box on the wall near the exits as you leave the service. You can also use the link on the screen to fill out a digital communication card and prayer request. Thanks for being part of Central's mission. Now you're going to be blessed as Haley Wiggers preaches today. Pastor Haley leads our young adult and connection ministry and is part of our teaching team. She's a thoughtful and authentic communicator of God's truth. Thanks for being here today. You're in for a treat. Good morning, Central. Happy Thanksgiving. Today we are closing out a seven-month-long series that we have been in called That's a Great Question. What a ride, right? We've covered a lot of ground. We talked about the existence of God, the problem of evil. We even talked about profanity. Today's question is, how do I navigate the wilderness? Now, I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. I am not going to be up here teaching you on how to survive in the actual wilderness. <laughs> I 0% am the person for that. We would, there would be no survivors, quite frankly. So um, who out here loves being outdoors, being in nature, going camping? I'm not talking about the, the like Instagrammable wilderness, right, with the pretty fall leaves and there's an actual trail and you can also carry your like venti Starbucks with you. I'm, t I'm talking about like the real, the rugged, like backpacking through the forest or hiking in a like hot, dry desert. Anybody? My husband is one of you people. Um, for some reason, he like comes alive for those wilderness trips where you're like just brought to like the brink of danger to where like you have like eight people in your group and the only food you have left is one little freeze-dried pot roast or whatever those things are. Um, or the times where the little bit of water in your canteen has just like turned slightly sludgy and green. He's, he's for some reason lives for those types of things. Me, not so much. My favorite thing to bring while camping is a hotel room with a beach view, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> I'm not about to fool myself into believing camping is a good idea for me or anyone around me. So when I think of wilderness, I tend to associate it with things like trial, struggle, pain, wandering, and just generally being mostly uncomfortable. Maybe anyone out here does too? Today, we are exploring spiritual wilderness. Unlike the geographical wilderness, spiritual wilderness is actually something I'm pretty well acquainted with. Just like geographical wilderness, spiritual wilderness leaves us feeling mentally, emotionally, or spiritually like we're in a desert. The words we wrap around spiritual wilderness are things like grief, loss, addiction, betrayal, God's silence or separation or disconnection, chronic illness, waiting, unanswered prayer, or even just a general sense of restlessness 
or disappointment. There's a great chart that will be up here that portrays the spiritual desert as the space that exists between our hopes and our actual lived realities. Many of us have lived there. Maybe this is where you're at right now. Maybe you're in a spiritual wilderness right now and you're just not getting a GPS signal. Oftentimes what is helpful as we try to navigate the wilderness is a key or legend on our map with the colors and symbols on there that help us make sense of our surroundings. My hope today is not to overcome or get you out of the wilderness, but my hope is that presenting a couple of items on our map legend or key, that we might find that the wilderness is not always what it seems. Let's pray. God, we love you. Open our hearts, minds, and spirits to your word. Speak to us today as many of us are in our own version of wilderness. Amen. So if you turn with me to the book of Mark, we will be in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It's really short, so I'm going to read it twice. So turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 1. So in chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus is baptized. The Father affirms and identifies Jesus. He says, you are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Now let's turn to verse 12 to see what happens next. It says this. The Spirit immediately drove him out, Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. I'm going to read one more time. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So, the Spirit, after descending on Jesus, immediately drives Jesus out into the wilderness. Jesus doesn't begin his public ministry yet, but instead is forcibly launched into unfamiliar, rugged terrain where he's stripped of all the comforts that he had known. The desert becomes Jesus' temporary residence for 40 days, where he was tempted by Satan, he was physically in a desert, and spiritually in a low and a desolate place. The book of Matthew and Luke say that Jesus came out starving. He came out famished. Jesus' 40 days was reflective of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But, but Jesus was like the new and improved version of Israel. His 40 days wasn't just a like pop-in and pop-out experience. No, the Holy Spirit launched him there and he stayed there for 40 days. So if Jesus was driven to the wilderness by and with the Holy Spirit, and if in that same spirit we live and we move and we have our being, then what can be said of the wilderness for us? We're going to look at three items on our map legend that help us make meaning as we navigate the wilderness. The first one is this. The wilderness is a normal part of the spiritual life. 
Jesus was launched into the wilderness by and with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the devil that launched him there. And in turn, Jesus opened up a way through the wilderness. It's never meant to be our final destination, but Jesus' experience gives us permission to join a community of God's people who have used the language of wilderness to name times when our faith feels like trial or struggle or desert. This is hard, though, because even in Christian spaces, language for struggle just isn't normalized. You may have heard of this thing called the prosperity gospel and associated it with health and wealth preachers. It's this idea that maybe God wants us to be rich. That's the financial component. But there are, there are other aspects too. There's something called the emotional prosperity gospel that infiltrates our thinking even as we navigate life with God. The emotional prosperity gospel leads is sort of this unspoken belief that if we just believe the right things or are good enough, then God might want to make us happy, give us unceasing joy, endless peace, positivity, positivity and trial, and the feeling of being hashtag blessed. We see examples of this even in best-selling Christian books. There's a book called Your Best Life Now, and the description of this book says... Because we will become what we believe, our beliefs will prove either a barrier or vehicle as we strive to go higher, rise above our obstacles, and to live in health, abundance, and victory. Now, while I do believe that God certainly can give us things like health and abundance and victory, I also believe that even the most righteous of people struggle sometimes. I believe that sadness and grief don't need to be pushed aside in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I believe that our wilderness experiences need to take up spiritual space in our lives just as much as the things that bring us contentment and joy and happiness. It's just that sadness and pain doesn't really sell us well, right? I can't imagine books titled, Your Worst Life Now, How to Have Hard Days, and how to just exist in the desert. I don't see those on the New York Times best-selling list. Things like the emotional prosperity gospel sort of make us think that if we've not believed the right things or are not holy enough, then any sort of pain or uh, trial or wilderness that we find ourselves in is a result of punishment. This is a lie. And if we believe this lie, then we tend to blow through the pain in our life thinking, I shouldn't be this sad, or I shouldn't have these questions about God, or my faith shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. But I don't believe that Jesus, when he was forced into the wilderness, was actually being punished. Remember how I said that the wilderness is not always what it seems? I believe Jesus entered the wilderness with a recollection of his ancestors who found themselves on a mountain or in a desert and ended up there for various reasons. The wilderness shows up all throughout scripture. I would even argue that most of the stories that we find in the Bible happen in a geographical wilderness, in a valley, in a desert, on a mountain, in or on a body of water, 
in a desolate city? Geographical wilderness or desert shows up nearly 300 times in our Bible. So scripture provides a rich witness of people who have found themselves in the wilderness, physically and spiritually, including Abraham, Hagar, Moses, David, Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Mary, Joseph, John the Baptist, Paul. Jesus spent most of his time in a desert or on a mountain or traveling between cities. Wilderness is a normal part of this spiritual life. So since the wilderness is unavoidable, could we pitch a tent and camp out for a little bit and see what it might have to offer us? Where in your life are you experiencing spiritual wilderness right now? Instead of the I shouldn'ts that we tell ourselves when it comes to being in a spiritual wilderness, what if you simply acknowledge that this is just the season you're in? What if instead of I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, we said, I am here, I am here, I am here. What if you just let yourself believe that the wilderness is normal, that there's nothing wrong with you or your faith, and you're not alone? Following Jesus invites you into a community that spans distance and time of people who have found themselves exactly where you're at right now. The next item on our map legend to give us meaning as we navigate the wilderness is this. The wilderness is a place where God meets us. The wilderness, most of the time, only feels like God's absence. And sometimes it feels like what we prayed for, we actually get the exact opposite. It's almost as if God is somehow unknowable or nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt this way? I have been there. I would consider the last six to nine months a complete and utter wilderness. We've had family health crisis, we've had back-to-back -back miscarriages, we've had grief, disappointment, not to mention a parenting, a toddler season that has felt harder than I've ever imagined, all on top of suffering through two and a half months of chronic insomnia. It felt like sometimes I would pray and things would get worse. I tried all the potions, oils, lotions, therapy, treatments. Things just weren't getting any better. I wondered when I would just absolutely break. I thought, if I've devoted my life to helping people grow closer to God, should I be able to overcome these feelings? It seemed like all the people around me were experiencing the fruits of a truly blessed life. But all I felt was God's silence and rejection. And yet, the ways that God ministered to me, I would have not noticed had I not been in my own wilderness. Although I was going on months of an hour of sleep here and there, by the way, I don't recommend that, so don't do that if you can't, if you can avoid it. I got, I got dressed, I went to work, I made it through each day. And that felt like a miracle in and of itself. 
remember, the wilderness is not always what it seems. We see that while Jesus was in the wilderness, he was both with the wild animals or beasts and the angels were attending to him there. Now, wild beasts would have represented the real powers and principalities of darkness, both physically and spiritually. So Jesus, God in the flesh, experienced real suffering, trial, and danger. When addressing this topic, author Barbara Brown Taylor said, we have to face real danger for it to be a wilderness. Otherwise, it's just a park. So darkness and evil were present, and the angels ministered to Jesus there. Our Lord meets us in the wilderness. We see this in other places in Scripture, too. After Moses had fled Egypt and was tending his flock in the desert, he came to the mountain of God. God spoke to him in the burning bush at Mount Horeb. The word we use here in scripture for desert or wilderness in Hebrew is the word midbar. That's also the word that's used for speak or spoken word. So in the wilderness, God speaks. Fast forward to the people of God fresh out of Egypt, camping at the base of Mount Sinai. God speaks. God delivers the Ten Commandments on the mountain in the wilderness. While the Israelites wandered for 40 years, much because of their own doing, God was with them every step of the way, while in the wilderness, in a cloud, in a pillar of fire, in the tabernacle. Deuteronomy 1.31 says, And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as one carries a child, all the way that you traveled until you reached this place. Do you ever think about the image of God carrying you, like swaddling you like an infant as you walk through hard times? Don't think too hard. It could be a weird image as a grown adult being swaddled. The psalmist who walked through the darkest valley, one that would have represented chaos in danger and death, notice the care and provision of God. Almost like Jesus was forcefully pushed into the wilderness, the psalmist declares that it's actually mercy and goodness forcefully pursuing them. Almost like a predator hunts down its prey. The prophet Isaiah said these words to an exiled Israel sitting amidst mass destruction. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Almost like he's showing us a magic trick. God says, watch, pay attention. I'm doing something cool and new. God promises to provide water while in the wilderness to offer provision amidst perceived scarcity, to provide even among the wild beasts. God loves showing off. My friend Summer shared with me how God has met her in a long season of depression. She said this, 
I feel like despite this season, my heart is doing a little spring thing and opening itself back up to a lot of things. I'm becoming tender to the spirit again, which has been my prayer. So I've just been asking for my heart to be open to God's ways and to his softness. Summer's circumstances didn't change, but in her wilderness, God met her and opened her heart up to the love and grace of the Holy Spirit. The emotional prosperity gospel would tell someone in her situation to just pray to not be sad, to just overcome her sorrow so that when she overcomes it, then God will be victorious. But the invitation of the wilderness is that even among the wild beasts, even in the darkest season of our lives, God is there. Emotional prosperity would lead us to believe the lie of as soon as I. As soon as I get better, God will be with me. As soon as I get married, God will finally bless me. As soon as my children stop rejecting me, God will finally show me he loves me. But the invitation of the wilderness helps us to see while I am here, God is loving me. While I wait for a new job, God carries me. While I am desperate for God's voice, God speaks to me here in the wilderness. While I, while I, while I. Author Amanda Opelt says, I'm learning that for some people in some seasons, to simply survive is an absolute miracle is brave and gorgeous and stunning. Now, when I think of God comforting me, I don't picture a happy feeling. I picture God breathing for me when I can't breathe on my own. His presence makes it so that I do not disappear. Whether you see it now or not, God meets you, carries you, sustains you, breathes for you helps you put one foot in front of the other. While you are in the wilderness, God meets you. And finally, the last item on our map, key or legend, is this. The wilderness is a place of both death and new life. In the wilderness, Jesus was tempted by all the things that humans are most vulnerable to. On top of being hungry, being physically empty for 40 days, Jesus' wilderness journey was one of emptying and dying. He emptied himself of glory, of power, of comfort. And he only relied on the Holy Spirit that drove him there and the word of God that was given to his ancestors while in the wilderness. In the wilderness, Jesus had to lay to rest the things that wouldn't serve him, the things that wouldn't give him true life. In the wilderness, certain things have to die. Certain things have to be emptied or laid down or purged. I felt this deeply in my own season of physical suffering and loss. I had to lay down all the spiritual formulas that I thought led to a blessed life. I had to lay down a sinful pattern of pride that led me to believe that I could do it all. I felt the most emptied, raw, 
and vulnerable and just completely at the edge of myself. Maybe it's in the emptying, in the dying, in the laying down, and the walking through the wilderness that we are actually made new. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob was a con man. He was a shady character who relied on deceit and lies to get ahead in life. So we find him hiding from his brother Esau in the desert. He had sent his family and wealth and possessions ahead of him to hopefully appease Esau so that he would forget how Jacob had treated him. So there's Jacob, camped out all alone, no protection, no provisions, by the Jabbok, a river which name means to empty itself. He's alone. He, has, he can't rely on deceit or lies to save him anymore. It's truly the camping experience that I tend to run from. So Jacob ends up wrestling with a man who we learn is a man uh, manifestation of God until daybreak. When God sees that Jacob won't let go of him, God dislocates Jacob, Jacob's hip and he blesses him. He gives him a new name, Israel. Names in the ancient world would have signified something holy or unique or sacred. They would have been a way of blessing something or orienting something towards God. So, in Jacob's wrestling with God, in the physical wilderness, he was given a new name. Jacob was given new life, but he had to wrestle with God. He had to be emptied. He had to lay down all the things that once served him, wrestle and go through the hard thing. And in the midst of it all, Hold on to the only thing. Hold on to the only one that would offer him true life. What is dying in you as you go through the wilderness? What images, beliefs, comforts, sinful patterns do you need to lay to rest? Sometimes pain is our best teacher. The wilderness changes us, right? Not that we'd ever want to be in the wilderness, and God never takes us there to torture us. Remember how I said, though, that there's real danger and wild beasts in the wilderness? I, in going through my own, I felt like I had been chewed alive and dragged through thistles and mud, almost like how people end up looking on their 30 days on the time of on the show Survivor. In the wilderness... God's people were formed not to be victorious spiritual giants, but to reflect God's own likeness and to invite other nations to know what God was like. So in our own and collective spiritual wilderness, we are formed to be people, if we allow it, who let our pain raise us to new life instead of destroy us. We learn patience we learn compassion for ourselves and for others. We learn that our limits are not a liability, but a part of being human. We learn codependency on community. We learn how to forgive. We are formed to be people who know how to hunger and thirst for God's presence. 
We come to know the fullness of ache, of a world desperate for a God who knows the full weight of suffering. What is your pain teaching you? How is the collective pain that we find ourselves in as a people of God changing us? Rabbi Steve Letter said, if you're going to go through hell, don't come out empty-handed. Meaning, since we all walk through some version of wilderness, might we see that somehow, even in our laying down, we take up new life? One of the only things that felt like it offered some semblance of new life to me in my wilderness season was actually playing over and over and over the song, The Goodness of God. That somehow felt like it named the deep suffering that had invaded my life, but also reminded me that I was being formed into a person who knew that the only comfort in life and death is the abiding presence of God. We are a church that desires to live in such a way that our relational world would come to know Jesus. But sometimes when we're in a spiritual wilderness, it can feel hard to say like, come on in guys, the water's great. We sometimes feel like before we can show how a life with Jesus transforms us, we have to present sunshine and rainbows and parade around emotional prosperity. The emotional prosperity gospel tells us that we only reveal what Jesus is like when we have more certainty about faith, can model positivity, and rise above our obstacles. It's the lie of only this. Only this is how God has changed me. Only my newfound certainty and my identity, who I am, my purpose, and deeper calling has showed Jesus' hold on my life. Only this, only my victory over addiction shows people what God can do. Only this, only this, only this. What if we evangelize the world not by parading around our emotional prosperity, but by confessing our desperation for God? By showing how our heart has been softened amid suffering, or by offering our tears to show that our faith allows us to lament a world broken by sin and that we know that this is not the way things should be. What if our apologetic was ask, showing how asking hard questions, being vulnerable, and actually desperately yearning for God have opened us up to receive more grace? The wilderness replaces only this with even this. Even this demonstrates how God can change a life. Even this testifies to Jesus' presence in our community. Even this is allowed to be an invitation to Christ-likeness. Even this, even this, even this. <coughs> even the wilderness can birth new life. It forms us to be people who embrace the full terrain of living just as Jesus did. So does it mean it's not hard or that somehow going through excruciating pain makes it all worth it? But even this, even this is forming us to be people who live and move and walk and love like Jesus the wilderness is a place where the emotional prosperity gospel and self-help don't serve us. I actually think those things lead us to believe that we are our own gods, that what we think or do or believe can somehow give us more happiness, escape from sorrow, and freedom from pain. I don't really know anything more opposite of the gospel than that. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus wasn't 
concerned with rising higher, achieving more, and gaining more and more and more perceived happiness and comfort. The way of Jesus was lowly. It was about emptying oneself. It was about laying down your life in order to find it. It wasn't about belief being a vehicle to self-actualization, but about knowing that a life apart from God would never lead to wholeness. The wilderness is a temporary home this side of heaven to those of us who are learning how to hold the hope of new life alongside of real pain. The wilderness is a place of beauty and wrestling, of hunger and of thirst. It's a place where I'm more deeply formed for the glory of God. It's a place of even here, while I, and even this. The way of the wilderness is about coming to know that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God's mercy and goodness is running after me. Sometimes the best thing we can do for ourselves when we're in the wilderness is to say, I need help. So before you go, there will be people, some frontline volunteers up here ready to sit with you, to listen to you, or to pray with you. And one announcement before you get up to go that we have a legacy partner in the concourse who works with the Jesus film. Please feel free to stop by there. Now, would you stand? Now, as you journey through this week, may you notice where God's goodness and mercy is running after you and give thanks. Go in peace.